All right, good morning. Welcome to Parkview. I'm Doug, one of the pastors here. I had to sprint from the back to get here, so, but I made it. So good to be with you today. If you're new, I would love to meet you. I'll be out in the foyer afterwards. Um, but I just, I, it's, it's a great privilege for us. And I know there's maybe different kinds of reasons why we're gathering today, why you came to church. For some of us, this is um, a discipline of ours. We love to come and praise God and worship Him together. We have friends here that we've known over the years, and uh, for some that are new, there's all kinds of reasons, like looking for God, or there's some difficulties in our life, we're looking for some hope or help, but whatever the reason is you're here, I'm so grateful uh, that you are. And then it's also a good morning just to acknowledge like the people that help us when we come here this morning, like our worship team that rehearses during the week and, and prepares, or the people that uh, are watching our kids right now and that are equipped to do that and giving their time to volunteer us to the ushers and the greeters. Just, just always grateful for the people, the tech crew uh, that's helping live stream people, follow us, all those kind of things. Just there's always a, an army of people serving us when we're here. So I, I greatly appreciate that. So if you have a Bible, um, you can open to Ephesians chapter 4. And if you didn't bring a Bible, you, there's an outline you can follow on the, in the bulletin that you got when you came in, and some of the verses we're going to study are on the screen in a little while here. So, but we're in an amazing part of a book called Ephesians, and uh, we're, at, we're starting chapter four. The book of Ephesians really breaks into two sections. The first three chapters of this book that we just finished studying last week, um, there, there's a real intent by the guy who wrote it, the Apostle Paul, to a church, a, a gathering of believers in a city called Ephesus. And Paul really wanted them to know the benefits that they have in Christ, the riches, the blessings. And, and so they're available to us as well, too. And things like that we've been adopted into God's family. We've been loved by God so much that the analogy is like he adopted us uh, as sons and daughters into his family. Things like that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have offended a holy God, but that, that God made us alive together through Christ because God is rich in mercy and God loved us. And so those are some amazing truths. And as we continued in the second part of chapter two, we see that God loves to take that gospel and then we are reconciled with God. We can have a relationship with God, but then he loves to reconcile us with each other too. And so uh, in, in the day this was written, uh, the Jews and Gentiles were two groups of people that just did not get along. And yet Paul's passion was that through the gospel that all people can be united. So we, we've, we talked about how as a, as a church holding up this gospel, that we are a church that, that needs to be a place of unity and diversity where we will not be divided by age or uh, socioeconomic background or by race or by gender. Like, we are all called to be one in Christ and at peace through Christ. And so that was a beautiful picture that God is reconciling this whole world together under Christ and what he's done on the cross. And then if you were with us last week, uh, it was one of those passages that if you, do, if you weren't here, look back at the end of chapter three because the kind of the crescendo of chapters one to three was just the limitless love of God, the boundless love of God that we are called uh, to put our identity and security in, that God loves us so much and that we're in a relationship now with a God who we can ask him for anything and that God will do even beyond what we can even ask or imagine. The powerful, almighty God loves us deeply and that gives us the foundation uh, to live our lives. So, so now what we're gonna see as we jump into chapter four 
is that kind of the banner over this next section is going to be, so now how do you live? The word walk is going to appear five different times, meaning like what does your life look like? Does your life look like uh, that you are blessed, like you've been blessed in chapters one to three? Like are you living like a blessed person? And what does that look like? And so there's going to be a lot more <clears throat> imperatives or commands in this next section. Um, and the important thing to remember is like these are not like this way to live is not something we crank out on our own strength, but it's meant to be an overflow of what Jesus has done in our lives. So our identity in Christ should then f- have a great impact on how we live our lives. And that's kind of the, the juncture here. And specifically this first passage, we're going to look at uh, Ephesians 4. 1 to 16. I think this next passage especially spins out of something that that Paul has said a couple times in chapters 1 to 3, but in chapter 3 verse 20, he made this comment that to God be the glory through the church. And so through the church, and you say the word church and maybe people get different images today. You might think of a building or, or sometimes church represents an institution to people. Today, what's sad is, like I read a a survey recently that the average Iowan, like when they think about God or they think about Jesus, the, the approval rating tends to be high. Like even does God exist is in the 90s, low 90s in our state. But if you ask those same people, what do you think about church? What do you think about organized religion? Or even like, what do you think about Christians? <laughs> those numbers tend to, tend to plummet, right? And so in this season of political approval ratings, uh, this concept of who God is and who Jesus is, again, people are, are pretty open and favorable. And I, I really think what we're going to see in this first section is this challenge. Like, are we living a life worthy of our calling? And particularly now this morning as, as a church, and I would say churches and building, churches is an institutional, uh, like a religious institution. A church is a gathering of people who are following Jesus together, who are living in this new identity that we have in Christ. And so are we glorifying God through how we are living together and how we are doing church? And so I would just say this at the outset too, is that when we talk about what the church is to look like, that we were made for this. Like that what, what God is offering us through the church is what we were made for. Like we need this. But then we're also saying here is that the world needs to see a healthy church because God has entrusted with us the gospel, the message of Jesus. And so as an outside world looks in, what are they seeing here? And in that sense too, you were made for this. You were made to contribute to this expression of the gospel through this gathering of people that we call the church. And so let me pray for us, and then we'll jump into uh, study uh, this, this great section of the Bible today. Let's, let's pray. So, uh, Lord, would you teach us uh, this morning today how to live out these amazing truths you've been telling us about in the first three chapters of Ephesians. We need your help to understand this and get our heads around this. And what's, what's especially compelling this morning is that you're not calling us just to do this by ourselves as we just go our own way each week, but you're really calling us to do this together. And so would you teach us this morning uh, what you would love to see in our lives and in this church? And so we love you and we ask you to teach us today. In your great name we pray, amen. So we're gonna see three evidences of a healthy church. We're going to see unity, we're going to see diversity, and we're going to see what ministry looks like. So unity, diversity, and ministry. So the first six verses, let me read these. These will be where we see this whole concept of unity, all right? So 
Ephesians 4, verse 1. I therefore, Paul, or I'm sorry, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. So pause. This is Paul writing. Again, he's in prison, loves the Ephesians. He's writing to them. So that's why, that's who this I and prisoner is, the Apostle Paul. Uh, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So what strikes me here, there's, there's a very similar passage in the book of Ephesians as well, but here it's like, I urge you to walk in a way that is worthy of the calling. Like, make sure your life matches up to this amazing calling you have. All those riches we saw in chapters one to three, like, are you living out of that calling? And so when you see that, maybe you brace for like, okay, something worthy of that. Are you thinking like, big miracles, like big, like something big I can go and do for God. Like you start thinking, wow, if this is a God that can do more than I ask or imagine, like is he calling me to just something, like maybe our minds go that way. And so, but instead, like he says, what I want you to do to live lives worthy of calling is to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to bear with one another, and to be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Again, I think, is that all? Like just to be humble, just to be united. And I think we misunderstand how essential this calling to unity is. In fact, if you um, were to flip back a few chapters in your Bible to the book of John, we see when Jesus was about ready to be arrested and then crucified, and then he rose again from the dead. In John 17, we see Jesus in the longest prayer recorded of Jesus, And what's on his heart in that moment, such a key moment in his life, is that he was praying for us and for his followers. And four different times his prayer was that we would be one, that we would be united. And if you get down to like verse 20 through verse 26, he opens up even more about that. And he says, Father, would you unite them around the glory that you have given me so that the world may know that you have sent me? Because there's a direct link between how united God's people are and their ability to put the glory of Jesus on display. Like the, the unity of God's people is an amazing statement to our world. A world that tends to be uh, full of fraction and division and anger and rivalry. If you pop into the middle of a world like this, a group of people that are all for each other, that are living together, that are united, humble with each other, serving each other, not demanding their needs and rights, but, but are there for each other, that's going to turn some heads. This world is going to ask, like, what's going on there? Like, what's uniting you guys? Like, why are you so excited? Why are you so kind with each other? Like, why are you all heading the same direction, even though you're different ages and races and backgrounds? And, and the answer is Jesus Christ. It is Jesus and his work on the cross that, that unites us. And so that's how we put the glory of Jesus on display. And it sounds simple and again, anticlimactic. Wouldn't it be something? But Jesus says, no, this is where it starts. Like if you show this kind of unity in a world that is so fractured, you're going to put me on full display. Because really, if you look at these qualities essential for unity, like humility, gentleness, patience, 
bearing with each other in love. And those are the qualities that Jesus has shown us. In fact, before Jesus came, those kind of traits were not respected at all in his society. The concept of being humble was usually equated with servant and slave status. Like nobody would want to be humble. But here's Jesus like teaching his people, no, you put each other first. And then he didn't just tell us to do it. He did it for us. He modeled for us the epitome of all of these things. And now we are so loved by this one who is so great that his love and his example free us to not just live for ourselves or not be selfish or not to just demand my agenda, but to live a whole different way because of what he has done for us. We reflect the glory of Jesus as we live in unity like this. It's interesting that the phrase was there to make every effort uh, to maintain the unity. He's not telling Christians, okay, go out and try to fabricate some kind of like, hey, yeah, we're all for each other, right? And just to try to make it up on your own. It, it, it won't work. It's been given to you. Like this is a unity that has been given through the gospel uh, by God's grace through Jesus. And so we follow Jesus. It was his idea to unite us. It's the plan of God to unite all things in this creation under the lordship of Jesus. And so, so this, we don't have to make this up. We just have to follow along. We just have to do what Jesus is doing for us. And so as people fully loved by Jesus, we're free to not demand our rights or demand other people meet my needs. Jesus has done that for us. And so this concept of unity just puts Jesus and the gospel on full display. Where are you getting this? So maybe on a smaller scale, like if you've been around uh, a couple, a married couple, and you know they're very different in their personalities and, and obviously different and in, in a lot of different ways, but you see them like really working well together. Like you see them working through conflicts well. They're deferring to each other, loving each other. Man, that's, that's really cool to be around. You go, man, you guys have built a good marriage there. They would be quick to say, no, this is Jesus leading us, teaching us how to do this. Or, or you see, uh, maybe on the sports realm, like you see a, like a basketball team or basketball season, right? Like a team where everybody's kind of laying down their rights and they're setting screens for each other. They're passing the ball well. And you see a whole team coming together. That's a, that's a beautiful picture. And what, what God is saying here is like, if you want to live a life worthy of the gospel you've received, then put the power of Jesus on display by how you treat each other and live in unity with each other. So we're empowered by Christ to do it. We're also empowered by the truths that we share, that we cling to as followers of Christ, that there's one body, and that's a reference to the body of Christ. Like there is one ultimate team that we're a part of following Jesus, and he is our leader. There's one body. There's one spirit. So the Holy Spirit who lives inside of every one of God's followers, who's there to give us the ability to love each other, to sacrifice for each other. So one spirit unites us. Uh, there's one Lord, so it's the Lord Jesus that we follow. There's one faith that our faith in Christ by the grace of God saves us. So we're all united on that. There is one baptism, meaning our identity is in Jesus Christ and, and through baptism. And then there is one God and Father uh, who unites us all. So that whole picture of God not just being a distant uh, you know, being a, a distant spiritual being, but he is a father. Like he is bringing us together as a family, the family of God. We are his sons and daughters. And so uh, you see this uh, throughout this passage. And what unites us is how Jesus has loved us. And what unites us are these truths that we cling to together.
And so again, the challenge to us at the end of uh, this section in verse 4 was to be eager to maintain the unity. So the unity exists. It's there. But there is a potential that we could divide that unity. And so maybe you've seen that. Like even, even the best of marriages, you have those seasons where you're not on the same page. And if you've been in church world for a while, you'll know that there are times where, where churches even aren't on the same page with each other. So Paul's word to that is like, uh, be eager to maintain the unity. Uh, Paul warns us, there's another part in the Bible where he says, uh, you know, there's the fruit of the Holy Spirit that, that leads us to unity together. But there's also the, it's called the kind of the fruit of the flesh. It's like what happens to us when we're not following Jesus, when we're not filled with the Spirit. And here's some of the descriptions of the works of the flesh. They're enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. So those are the things that we need to, to nip and to, to, to eliminate. We need to be eager to maintain the unity and make sure we're fighting against those things. And so maybe you've heard of the book before called uh, Respectable Sins. It was written by a guy named Jerry Bridges. It's like that sometimes what we do as Christians is we categorize like the really big and bad sins, but we tend to minimize other sins. And sometimes what falls under that list of sins we belittle are these kind of sins of like slander or gossip. You go, well, everybody does that. Or, well, you know, I was just venting or I was just sharing a prayer request, you know. And so we can, we can couch those things in innocuous ways, but what God is telling us here is like, no, these are, these are sins that we need to nip. We need to be eager to maintain the unity in our bodies and so in, in the body of Christ. And so, and so we need to watch that. And guys, just like in a, in a good marriage, when I do something that offends Lori and I sense that and I see that, I need to own that and go to her and seek her forgiveness. The same thing happens in our relationships with each other, that there are times like we're going to offend each other. We're going to be impatient with each other. We annoy each other and all this. Like, yeah, we're loved by God and all of this, but we're still us, right? And so, so in all those moments, there's, there's that intensity that needs to be there that we're going to be eager to preserve the unity. So, so if somebody starts gossiping to you or slandering that, that we have the courage to say, hey, could you stop? And could you go like talk to the person you're talking about? Because they need to hear that, you know? And, and so speak the truth and love to them, but like they need to hear what you're saying. You want me to go with you? Do you want to, you know, like, so, so we're just, we're those, those folks. And um, as I'm talking to pastors and in our country today, here's one special way that we got to guard against. Like we live in a culture where you can go online and say the most horrific things about the Hawkeyes, you know? You could go to the message boards and say, why didn't Fran call a timeout? Fran never calls timeouts. Or why didn't he put in so-and-so? Or why did that guy play? And just kind of vent and rage. And then, I mean, obviously in the realm of politics, same thing is going on, right? Oh, Trump this. Oh, Hillary this. All the, you know, like, just there's just this water we swim in today where people are just you know, slamming and caustic and throwing their opinions out, what can happen sometimes is that can even seep into the church. Like, and we can start saying things and posting things kind of publicly. And I just cringe when I see that. Like, so um, we just got to watch this. There's something about our devices that almost removes us. Like, we almost think, well, this isn't as bad because I'm just in my room alone. I'm just typing. I'm just going to send it out. So, so I've been guilty of that. Like, I have sent 
uh, emails uh, over the years to teammates or maybe to some of you that looking back, it's like that was not worded well or that was sarcastic or that wasn't good, you know? And so we see that we need to own that uh, for sure. Um, but then even sometimes like in church world, you see stuff posted, you know, on Facebook and things that ought to be said to each other, like things we definitely do need, uh, you know, as a church to be held accountable and speaking the truth in love. Hey, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? But not to do that in a way that just brings disrespect on your brother and sister or on the body of Christ. So, uh, you know, we would not post pictures of ourselves stealing money out of a cash register, <laughs> but, but sometimes we're free to just go ahead and, and slander folks in public. So here's a couple of things we got to think about. Um, number one is that uh, the Bible calls the church the bride of Christ. And so just think about it. Anytime we say something about another church or anything about our church, say that publicly, you are offending like Jesus, you know, it's like the, the bride of Christ. Like, try that with any guy in this room. Like, hey, I'm going to start ripping your wife publicly. It's like, that's not going to go well, okay? And so now we're talking about God and that. Or even if it's about other people, other believers, like the, in God's family, those are his kids, right? And so how does that go? Like, if you start posting stuff about my kids, like, that, that's not going to go well with us. But even on a grander scale that we're talking about, you know, the God uh, of the universe here. So just a good word to us to make sure we are doing all we can, that we are eager to maintain uh, the unity. Because when we do, and when the, when the church is operating the way it should, it is incredibly beautiful to a watching world to look in and to see, like when people are hurting, look, people are coming around them and helping them out. Or when somebody has a baby, like, boy, they haven't had a meal. They haven't had to cook a meal in like two weeks. Look at everybody bringing them food, right? Or somebody's in the hospital and the people that go and visit, care for them, pray for them. Like to the outside world, seeing the body of Christ being the body of Christ is incredibly attractive. Like, wow, how do you sign up for that? Like, how do you get friends like that? It's been fun over the years, like just to eavesdrop. Like when you are doing that for each other, the comments that come from your friends around you, like how'd you sign up for a group like that? Well, it's called the church. Like, and so, so that kind of thing, it is really beautiful to see you guys do that well and for each other. And I would say, I wonder if there isn't, I don't know that there's a greater time than today for our world to see the body of Christ being the body of Christ. I've talked about this a couple times before, but have you heard about this loneliness epidemic that they're talking about? And so in an email, it's going to go out tomorrow. I'm going to give you three resources. One of them is about this loneliness epidemic. There was a guy out of UCLA um, that has done some research about how, even though as a country, we are super connected with each other through our phones, social media, that, that, that in unprecedented ways, Americans are identifying themselves as lonely. What's especially surprising to people is that uh, this demographic right here, 18 to 22-year-olds, are one of the ones that that's been spiking the highest, even more than like a 72 and older. Like, so people are wondering, like, how, how is that happening and what's going on? And the study is really interesting. It's revealing stuff that the Bible already tells us. Like God said, it's not good for us to be alone. And yet they're finding that that more and more people are, are, are isolated, that there are fewer and fewer just personal interactions with people. We're interacting more through our technology than we are in person. What a beautiful day for us as a church to put on display that this is a place where anyone can come. Anyone is welcome. We will serve you. We will accept you. We will be humble with you. We will love you, that this is a safe place to begin relationships because of what Jesus has done for us.
What an amazing opportunity for us uh, to be the church and to put the gospel on display, all right? So that one's the longer of the three, but the first quality, first sign of a healthy church is unity, all right? The second one we're going to see in verses 7 to 10 is diversity. See how we're called together to be one, but, but as that one church, each one of us has some distinctions. So let me read 7 through 10. It says, uh, but grace was given to each of us, each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. And so that's where we're going to come back to that. Each one of us has been given a specific gift by Jesus to serve his church. But let's look at verses 8 through 10 a little bit here. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he may fill all things. We could spend a couple hours diving into these three verses. What in the world is going on here? If I could summarize, for sake of brevity here this morning, but I invite you into a deeper study there, is that there's a, there's a link between this and Psalm 68. And kind of the gist of Psalm 68 is it's talking about a victorious king who has won a battle, who has set captives free, and through that is giving spoils of victory to his people. I believe this is Paul drawing a link to that concept, to what Jesus has done for us. That he, you know, was in heaven with the Father. He descended. He came to earth. He humbled himself. He died on a cross. Um, some would even say that in that moment between, those moments between his death and his resurrection, that he literally descended even further and proclaimed a victory over like Satan and the demons and that he is victorious. And then when he rose again from the dead, he set captives free. And that's you and me, set free from sin and death. And part of the spoils of his victory is that he gives each one of us a measure of grace, a gift. And so now we circle back to verse 7, what he's talking about there, that each one of us is given an ability, a spiritual gift, that is meant to bless the rest of the church, all right? So there are more extensive passages that talk about spiritual gifts. You can write some of these down, and this is my second attachment to you tomorrow, a little, a little explanation of spiritual gifts, all right? But in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12, uh, there's some passages, 1 Peter 4, talk about that each follower of Jesus Christ is given a spiritual capacity, uh, an endowment by God, a power and ability from God to bless other Christians. And so if you add up all the lists of gifts, they're around 25 or 30 gifts. No list is identical. So that makes people think there may even be a few others that aren't necessarily listed here. But the concept is clear. God has given you a gift. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you've been given an ability to help other people in the church, all right? And so some of the lists have things like service, like some people are wired to just serve and help people. There's gifts of mercy. When somebody's hurting, like you're just wired to come alongside and bring comfort to people. It's, it's like you're just pulled into that. And the things you say bring comfort and mercy. And, and you're just seeing God is using that. So mercy. There's leadership gifts. There's teaching gifts. And, and so again, about 25 or 30 or so of these gifts. And these gifts emerge as you are a part of Christian community. It's not like you meet Jesus and then you go sit by yourself for a while and discover your gifts. Like you don't discover your gifts until you really jump in with other Christians and then you'll see like, wow, they're doing things that are helping me out 
and you're growing in your faith in Jesus, but then before you know it, you're doing things that other people are going, hey, thanks a lot. Like, that really helped me when you said this, or you really encouraged me, or that meant a lot to me when you showed me, you know, kindness when I was going through a hard time. Like, and before you know it, you see, wow, like God's using me here too. And so it's an amazing uh, combination. Uh, again, this is what you were designed for, to be part of a church, to be cared for by others, but also for you to share what God has given you. And sometimes this is, a, maybe it's a dumb analogy, but maybe it's helpful. Um, let's imagine that you're at, a, you're at a party at somebody's house and somebody's hosting and somebody's coming out of the kitchen like with a big tray of glasses and a pitcher and they trip and they fall and that just spills and shatters all over the living room, right? And so you've got a group of people in there and there's instinctively, can you imagine, everybody just jumping up and doing something, right? So maybe somebody with a service gift is looking for a mop and looking for a broom and it's going to just start cleaning it up, right? Maybe somebody with a mercy gift is coming alongside uh, the person that just spills like, it's okay, I did that once too, you'll be okay, you know? This person you might have to temper a little bit, but maybe a teaching gift could step in there and say, well, you know what you should have done? Is you should have noticed there was a little kink in the rug there, or like whoever's hosting that party, you know, you should have like made sure that kink, you know, you might want to hold that guy back until the right moment, right? You might have somebody with a gift of administration kind of popping up, hey, could somebody get the bucket? Hey, could somebody, hey, somebody make sure she's okay, she's crying, like could everybody, you know, just you kind of see within the context of doing life together, your gifts will emerge, and so I, that's, that's in the document you're going to get tomorrow too. It's kind of a, a list of the gifts and kind of a survey you can take to maybe help you explore uh, what those gifts are, but you really won't find what that gift is until you jump into community with other believers. And again, you'll see their gifts helping you, but then you'll see uh, your gifts helping others as well. So, so there's diversity in the body. We're not all the same. We're not all given the same gifts. We need each other, all right? So there's unity, there's diversity, uh, and now um, there's this this concept of ministry, all right? There's, there's, in a healthy church, you're going to see ministry. And so verses 12 uh, and 13, I'm going to read these. I'm sorry, 11 and 12, 11 and 12. He says, and he gave the apostles, he gave the prophets, gave the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Each of us has a gift uh, to help each other to grow. But what Paul is doing here is he's showing us five I'm calling these equipping gifts. Like, so every one of us has a gift, but now among those gifts, there are gonna be these five equipping gifts that kind of help everybody with all the different grips, all the different gifts go the same direction. So I'm sorry if my analogies often go to sports, but like imagine a football team. Like you've got all these gifted players. You've got the big guys that can like open up holes and knock out like defenders. You've got kind of the quicker guys that have good skills with their hands and can throw. You've got kickers. And so, but what you also see in a team are these coaches, like a defensive coordinator that takes the defense and works with them and the offensive coordinator and the head coach and different position coaches but really those coaches are meant to take these gifted players and get them all going the same direction. And that analogy breaks down in some places, but, but the five equipping gifts kind of take everybody's gift and get us all going the same direction. So let me just hit these. I think they're interesting. I'll, again, we could spend an hour on these five gifts. Let's just, let me do a quick summary of each one. One is the gift of uh, being an apostle. So you hear that right away, and maybe you think about, well, that's Peter and Paul, the guys that wrote the New Testament. Uh, certainly that, they were an apostles in a unique way. But these lists continue to include 
this gift of apostleship. And from what we can gather, those are the folks within a church that help a church see where the gospel can go next. And they're willing to take it there. So in our context, that might be like our global workers or, or um, I think Ben, I know he mentioned it first hour um, when he mentioned the, the Sudan party like, that, that's coming up and a chance for us to serve the Sudanese community. I would bet most of us this morning didn't wake up going, I wonder when the next time I can serve a Sudanese person is, right? And so that's why God's gifted us with people like Paul to open our eyes to see, hey, there's opportunities in our city for us to take the gospel to. That's, that's kind of an apostolic gifting for a church today. You got apostles, you got prophets. Sometimes you think about a prophet, maybe you think of the Old Testament version of prophet where they would predict the future. And so what's different now, you'll still see this office of a prophet mentioned in the New Testament, but now we have so much revelation from God about who Jesus is and the gospel. We got the, the whole canon, Old Testament, New Testament. It's almost like the role of a prophet today isn't to reveal something new, but to proclaim something that's been told to us, but in a very encouraging and challenging way. It's more forthtelling instead of foretelling, right? And so I think about in our context as a church over the last couple years, um, we had a, a guest come in for the weekend named Dr. Christopher Yuan, who is a man in his testimony, was a man who lived... Um, identified as a same-sex attracted male who then met Jesus, and Jesus did a work in his life. And so now Dr. Yuan is writing and equipping Christians about how do we, how do we stick to the truth of God's word, but at the same time love our, you know, people from the LGBT community, kind of a, a prophet-speaking encouragement and direction to God's people. Or my friend last fall who was here, who has a PhD in microbiology, who came and spoke to us about the validity of Scripture, that, that science doesn't wipe out our faith in Christ, that you know, using his background and his expertise in, in DNA research and different things, he showed us that what the Scripture teaches holds true. And so to speak as a prophet to us that you do not need to be afraid of your faith, you do not need to be afraid of the Scripture and its scrutiny that science may show on it. Those are gifts, example of prophecy, of proclaiming truth uh, to us in a way that encourages us to live out our faith. Evangelists are people who love seeing people come to Jesus. Not that any of us don't, but, but there's a special gifting there, even not just to do that themselves, but to equip other people uh, to do that. The pastors are there to care for people and um, listen to them, comfort them, uh, lead them. So there's your pastors and you got your teachers who explain God's truth. And so a healthy church really has a variety of these equipping gifts that then take all of us with, with all the other gifts and moves us forward in a balanced way. You've got your apostles and your evangelists helping us think beyond ourselves. Okay, where does the gospel need to go? And yet you've also then got your pastors and your, your teachers uh, caring for us and our, our hurts and making sure we understand the truths of the Bible. And what a beautiful picture that is of a team, just like a football team. You don't want just a strong offense, but a horrible defense, right? You need a strong team. And that's what God has done with these equipping gifts. And so, um, and so that's what ministry looks like then. So the goal is that each of us has our gift that we've been equipped then by pastors, teachers, apostles, evangelists. And now what we're equipped to do is to go and do the work of ministry. Like, so the goal isn't just that those five gifts do all the work and the rest of us watch. Like those five gifts are there to equip us 
to take our gifts, and then we go and we do the ministry, ministry with each other, and the ministry with people outside of our church. And the whole goal is there in verse 13. Like, what's the goal of our ministry? It's that we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ. Like, our goal then is that we all be on the same page about who Jesus is, what he has done for us, and that we're all on the same page and that we need to be more like Jesus. We want to grow into the fullness of Christ and that we are gifted to help each other do that and get there. Right? That's so... A successful church isn't just about how many people can you get to come and listen, but how many people can you equip and empower so that then they know they are sent like to do this ministry with each other and then do this ministry together to those that are outside of our church. And so the result is then in verse 14, it says that we are no longer children tossed by waves of every wind of doctrine by human cunning and deceitful schemes. You know, that phrase, deceitful schemes, just took me right away to 2 Corinthians eleven three, where it talked about when Eve was tempted, uh, that that's the strategy of the enemy, is to distract us from the simplicity of being devoted to Jesus. Isn't that like, when you break this whole Christian life down, it's pretty basic. Like, follow Jesus, right? He loves us. He's the one we're trying to become. But the enemy's strategy is to divide us, to distract us, from the simplicity of devotion to Christ. Uh, the enemy hates us following Jesus. And so if you ever wonder, where did the doubts come from? Like, did Jesus really live? Like, did he really rise again from the dead? Is he really the son of God? Is the Bible really true? Will the Bible really work? And other kinds of doubts too, like, will my life really work out if I follow Jesus? Like, can I trust him? Does he really know what he's talking about? in all these areas of my life. Maybe I could find something better than following Jesus. Like all those things are distractions that the enemy loves to use. And so to confront that, verse 15 calls us to be a people that speak the truth in love, that we are to grow up every way into him who is the head into Christ. And so this phrase gets used a lot, speaking the truth in love. This was really cool for me this week to see in this context I think this is specifically calling us to be a people who regularly confess to each other about the works of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. Some authors call it preaching the gospel to yourself and preaching the gospel to your brothers and sisters. I constantly remind each other what Jesus has done for us. Speak the truth in love. Remind each other the truth of the gospel. And, and one author that does that super well is this guy named Tim Chester. And we've used this, but I think it's been a few years. Um, and so I've got a slide for it. And this is my third email that's coming out to you tomorrow, my third resource I want to send you in this email. is this concept of the four Gs, a great summary of our blessings in the gospel. Okay, the four Gs are this and how they offset ways we're tempted to reject Jesus, okay? God is great, so I don't have to be in control. Like, I don't have to worry. I don't have to be in fear. Like, God is great, so I don't have to be in control. God is good, so I don't have to look elsewhere. Like, that kind of nips materialism or, or greed or just trying to find our own satisfaction. God is good, so we don't have to look elsewhere. God is gracious, so I don't have to earn his approval. I don't have to prove anything. Like we're saved by grace. And sometimes we can slip into that religious mindset that I've got to be good enough for God to love me. It's like, no, 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 God is gracious. And the last one is that God is glorious. 
is through the resurrection of Jesus, and Jesus is the name above all names. Like, we don't have to fear what anybody else says or thinks. Like, we don't have to live for anybody else's approval because the one who is glorious is the one who died for me and loves me. So you look at those four Gs, and those are all clearly evidenced in the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. And so the call here is to be a people that constantly remind each other of what Jesus has done for us so that we do not stray in the simplicity of being devoted to Christ. So guys, we were made for this. We were made for this. Like we can't follow Jesus alone. We were made to do this together. And we cannot reflect the glory of Jesus by ourselves. Like that is most powerfully done when we do this together. So I'm just calling this last section Parkview on all cylinders. Like if we are doing what this is calling us to do, then this will be a place, we will be a movement of people that really anyone can come in here and anyone can be accepted and loved and anyone who comes in will notice uh, these people are, are committed to each other and look what they're doing to me. Like look how they're helping me and they're listening to me and they're serving me. And so that this would be a place that when people start putting things together and realize that it's Jesus who's doing this through them, that they too will put their faith in Jesus. And then they will join us and be part of the team and realizing that God has also empowered them to do the same thing. So not only are they receiving gifts uh, from everybody around them, but they're beginning to contribute back. They're being part of this team that is spreading the glory of what Jesus has done for us through their own lives as well. They're receiving and giving. And then God continues to get more and more glory as we live united, as we use our gifts and our diversity, and then as we minister to each other uh, through the truths of the gospel. God does amazing things when those things are kicking in. So let me do this. Let me give you a moment to pray, to kind of wrap up. Let me just ask you two questions, and you can hit them both if you want, or you can just take one or the other and camp on it. But the first question is, are you gleaning? Are you gleaning all that God is calling you to glean, like from a church? Like, have you stepped into community? Have you put yourself around other believers so that their gifts can encourage you? Have you been kind of pulling back for a while? But are you, you were made for this. So, so one question is, are you really engaging? Are you jumping in where this can begin to happen for you? So that's one question. And the second question is, um, are, are you contributing to this team? Are you using your gifts? Like, are you serving? Are you, do you even know what your gift is, but are you using that to help build uh, this uh, body of Christ? So let me give you a moment to just pray about both of those. And again, just remember, God is saying to you, you were made for this. You were made for this. You need this.